I've noticed that every time we work through a different book of the Bible, that book becomes my new favorite. Anybody else feel that way? When we did the series through James, that was my favorite. First Thessalonians, that was my favorite. First few chapters of Romans, favorite. Part of Acts, favorite. My new favorite book of the Bible is Colossians. You know, one of the many reasons we can trust that the Bible is actually the Word of God is that it is an inexhaustible resource. There's always more to see, more to understand, and to apply. Consider any other book that's ever been written. Consider trying to learn from War and Peace or Pilgrim's Progress or even any nonfiction book you can think of and picture studying that book and hearing talks taken from that book every week, week in and week out, reading that book every day of your life for the rest of your life. Wouldn't you get bored pretty soon with any other book? Wouldn't there be an exhaust of whatever you might have gotten? But take it from one who's been reading and studying the Bible pretty intensely for over 30 years. It is truly an inexhaustible resource. And I think that is because the Bible comes to us straight from the inexhaustible God. And so after several months and about 17 messages, we finally come to the end of our series through the book of Colossians. If you've been here and you've listened, then, then you should actually have a pretty good grasp of this very important book of the Bible. I think that's pretty cool that, that we as a church have come to a better understanding of the book of Colossians and that, that we've done this together. Today we'll look at our final section of the biblical text for this series and wrapping up the body of his letter in chapter 4 verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. These five verses are absolutely packed with instructions about our mission as a church. And if you will recall in God's vision for Go Church, the final part of what we call our discipleship strategy <clears throat> is missionarying. In the circle with the arrows, the, the, the end of that process up around 11 o'clock is missionarying. Our development plan for any person who comes through our doors is right there in the circle with the arrows. And as you can see, the end game for each person is that we would all begin to live our lives on mission for Christ in the community. Now, we could call this final step in our process outreach or evangelism or, or use other similar words, but I chose the word missionary because this is the part where we continually act out the mission. It's just ongoing all the time. The mission, if you recall, there in the center in the triangle of connecting community with Christ. That's our mission statement, connecting community with Christ. And we do this in various ways, but ultimately we do this by sharing the gospel message. The message Paul talked about, wanting a door to open for. The good news that anyone can be saved from sin by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, notice in the book of Colossians that this subject, the mission of the church, comes at the very end of the book. After these verses we'll unpack today, Paul just kind of gives a big, long goodbye uh, from himself and those in his company. I think it's purposeful, either by Paul himself or by God's inspiration, that the mission is discussed at the end. I think the reason is that the mission must flow out of our relationship with Christ. And see, that's what most of the book has been about, finding our everything in Christ. Mission flows out of our relationship with Jesus. For the same reason, missionaring is placed at the end of our discipleship strategy. Look back at our vision graphic up there or in your program once more and understand the circle. Missionaring flows out of worshiping. We just did that. Sharing. We do that in, in go groups and things like that. Learning. We do that through go men and go women and, and on, our, on our own in our own discipleship times with the Lord. Blessing. That's what we do just to be a blessing in our community. And it all flows into missionarying. Hopefully you see the process there. There's, there's so much more I could say, and, and I do sometimes say a lot more, but just giving the big picture. Or look outside of the circle, and, and even a bigger picture, the three phrases. First, we love God, then we love each other in the church, and from out of that love, we love everyone else. See, when love of God and our brothers and sisters in Christ is strong, we have something to share with the world. We have a gift and a good news worth offering when we have love of God and each other in the church of Jesus Christ. Essentially, all of that is what the book of Colossians has laid out for us. We wind up this series with what in some ways is the end result of finding everything we need as individuals and as a church in Christ. When Christ becomes the true center of our church, the center of our worship, the center of our work, the center of our family relationships, and all the other things we've talked about, when Christ is everything to us, powerful, life-changing mission can follow. Now let's get into our text in which Paul actually packs 10 principles for mission accomplishment. Some of you are thinking, oh boy, a 10-point sermon, right, so... Let's get cracking. Ten principles for missioneering. <laughs> Number one is this. Pray first. As Paul turns a topical corner and begins this passage on the mission, the first thing he calls for is prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. But as you'll see, Paul is not asking for a general or random prayer. He's asking for specific prayer about what I'm calling missioneering. The principle here is that as we think about accomplishing the mission in our community and the world, the very first step must always be prayer. Pray that God opens a door, Paul says in verse 3. We'll talk about open doors in a minute, but right now the point is that we need to be praying before we are going. And here's the reason for that. Hear this. God initiates mission. God initiates mission. Outreach or evangelism or missionarying that's not initiated by God is a dead-end road. In truth, we are not talking about our mission as much as we're talking about His mission. In missionarying, we're simply joining God and His mission. The mission is His, and it is ours, in as much as we go out to represent Him. Because of this, Paul would say, you really need to pray before you go. If you're working up the courage to share about Jesus with someone, make sure you pray first. And better yet, get others praying too. 
Don't forget this important step. Even Paul, likely the greatest evangelist to ever live, asked the Colossian church to pray for his mission efforts, and he asked for devoted prayer. He asked for fervent prayer, focused prayer, prayer for the mission, prayer for the mission. Listen, if you aren't challenged enough about joining God's mission that you would devote serious prayer to it, you don't understand what you're signing up for. This is world-changing work with eternal consequences. When you share the message of Christ with someone, you are doing something that is more important than anything that the President of the United States will do today. (laughs) If you think about it in light of eternity, that is the truth. Nothing anyone does today has as much significance as sharing the gospel because in doing so, you can be the tool that God uses to change someone's eternal destiny, not to mention the people that person will influence down the line. Why do I even need to point this out about praying before you go? I think because often our understanding of the mission of the church is far too shallow. Does anybody have a Kleenex? Like one that hadn't been used preferably. Mom's got one here. Thank you. Shortest verse in the Bible. Anybody? Yep. (laughs) Jesus wept. Our understanding of the mission of the church is too shallow if we don't realize we need to be praying. Sometimes it seems we think of our mission kind of like just being nice or somehow shining a little light in a dark world. That just means being a better person than some are being. For some, it seems the mission is to convince other Christians to get their views straight or maybe to come to one church instead of some other church. None of that is our mission. When you get down to actually doing the mission, there will probably be a little shake in your voice. Why is that, by the way? It is because we have an enemy. And we have let him win so much that at this point we assume failure. We don't think we really have a chance. We've lost our confidence. We're afraid many of us gave up on the real mission long ago. When you and I really get after the mission, we will be sharing the good news about Jesus Christ and how we've all sinned, but we can also all be saved through faith in Him. If you accept that as your mission, sharing the gospel as your mission, I bet you'll remember to pray before you go, right? (laughs) But we don't usually live out that mission. Unfortunately, we substitute, and substitutes don't need prayer so much. Listen, if you're really living on mission for Christ, then he's going to need to do something to help you accomplish it. That's when you'll know you were actually involved in the mission, his mission. When God had to show up and do something through and beyond your words, that's that's why you need to pray first. And it's why you need to pray about this regularly because you never know when an opportunity will show up. Amazingly, almost as if God knew what I was gonna preach this week, He led me to a new online tool called Bless Every Home. I sent you an email this week with a link to it. It's a personalized link. We'll connect you to our church. Make sure you use that link. Don't just Google it. This thing is incredible. 
The entire premise is that when you pray for your neighbors by name, and when you continue to pray for them as you try to get to know them a little bit, pray first, care second. One day maybe you can share, pray, care, share the gospel with them. And when that day comes, all that prayer that's been going on before is going to matter. In fact, your prayer for them is the catalyst that leads to mission accomplishment. So logistically, with this free tool, you get a map that comes up on your screen. You'll get an email every day or however, how many days you pick to do it. And on this map are the names of the people in the houses next door. You can get up about 40 and you get all the houses and, and the names are there. Anybody can get this information, by the way. All the businesses have it. And you start praying for them daily and you mark that you prayed for this person and these first five people and then the next day you pray for the next five people. And, and, and not only that, but you're linked to our church so I can see how many people our church are praying for. And then whenever you get to the point of being able to care, in other words, you've gotten to know their name maybe, you know, more than just seeing it there, but you've actually met them and you've made an acquaintance at least, then you can mark that you care. And then if you ever get to the point of sharing the gospel, you can click that. And if you make a disciple, or if they're already a disciple, you can click that. And if all of us are doing that, there's little dots all over the map, all over this community and this region, and I can see how we're doing as a church. It's absolutely incredible. If you didn't get the email invitation, please, that means we either don't have your email address or you, it's going to spam, which hopefully you didn't do that on purpose. Um, <laughs> but make sure we have your email so I, we communicate a lot through important, uh, important things. I think about 10 of you have signed up last time I checked, so hopefully many more will sign up. I'm going to report back to you. We're going to be able to show on the screen how we're doing as a church, how well we're covering this community in prayer and, and in reaching out. Pretty cool. A few months, I'll share with you about that. And again, the premise of the whole thing is to just start praying for your neighbors regularly by name. And then watch how things change. Watch how doors open up. And also watch for your heart to begin to care more and more. It all starts with prayer. Let me know if you need that link. I'll get it to you. Let's start praying for our neighbors. What do you say, Go Church? The second principle for mission accomplishment that I see in our text is this. Look for open doors, not brick walls. <laughs> Paul asked for prayer that God may open a door for our message. Even the bold apostle Paul didn't try to knock down brick walls. He was pretty good at shaking the dust off his sandals and less receptive places as he moved on to more fertile soil, something Jesus specifically told us to do. Some people just aren't ready to hear the truth. Look for open doors, not brick walls. Years ago, while I was serving in another church, I had an opportunity to join the staff of a very large church in the South. Christy and I met the lead pastor and his wife at a restaurant for a bit of an interview, and within 15 minutes, I knew there was no way I was going there, making for a miserable meal. One of the first things the guy said was off-putting for me. With his southern accent, he said, I just want to know if you're a personal soul winner. I think he might have even asked me the last time I had won someone to Christ. Now, to some of you, that sounds totally foreign. Others of you who grew up in an evangelical church like me have heard it before and know it was once a common way of talking about outreach or the mission, winning souls. While I could appreciate this guy's heart for evangelism, I just tell you straight up that I don't care for the term. I'm aware 
of the one spot in Scripture where Paul talks about winning people to Christ. And I know that Charles Spurgeon wrote a book on winning souls. And I know that using the term is supposedly a badge of honor that means you are an evangelistic person, which we all should be. But I've thought about it for years, and I still just don't care for the term. See, I believe our mission is joining God in what He is already doing in someone's life. I just really think God is the one who wins souls. I'm looking for open doors to be used by God, and that also means steering clear of as many brick walls as possible. Why? Because running into brick walls is futile, and it hurts. My advice is to pray for and look for open doors. And that does mean actually looking, which means stirring the pot a little, working towards spiritual conversations with folks and seeing where it leads. But the point is, when the conversation hits a brick wall, you know, let it be. Look for open doors. Trust that God is at work somewhere around you because he is. Join him on his mission. Don't be a lone wolf trying to win every soul you meet regardless. It's just not the way the mission of God works. Somebody's probably going to talk to me later about that's not what most people mean when they use the term. I know that's not what they mean. I know that. I still don't like it. <laughs> Look for open doors, not brick walls. The third principle is this. Proclaim the mystery of Christ, nothing else. Paul continues, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, what is the mystery of Christ? Songwriter Michael Card put it really well in his song called The Mystery. And it goes like this. When the Father longed to show a love he wanted us to know, he sent his only son and so became a holy embryo. That is the mystery more than you can see. Give up on your pondering and fall down on your knees. No fiction is fantastic and wild, a mother made by her own child. The hopeless babe who cried was God incarnate and man deified. That is the mystery, more than you can see. Give up on your pondering and fall on your knees. Because the fall did devastate, creator now must recreate. And so to take our sin was made like us so we could be like him. That is the mystery, more than you can see. Give up on your pondering and fall down on your knees. But this is not the first time Paul has spoken of the mystery of Christ, even in this short book of Colossians. In chapter 1, verse 25, remember the apostle said this about his calling, it is to present you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, that's the church. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is this, that Christ can now live inside you and he can bring you the hope of sharing in his glory. The glory of heaven, eternal life. 
Our mission is to proclaim this mystery, that in receiving Christ into our lives through a faith commitment, our eternal destiny of death is exchanged for an eternal destiny of life. And then as Peter put it, we can proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But why is this message such a mystery? Partly because it seems far too simple, too easy, too basic. How can we exchange hell for heaven with a simple turning to Jesus? Doesn't there have to be a list of other things? In another place, Paul says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's us, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Through believing the gospel, we become sharers in the promise of God through Christ. The promise, by the way, is resurrection. Pretty good promise. Eternal life with God in heaven, made promised, made possible as we are justified in His sight by grace through faith in Christ and what He did on the cross. This is the mystery. The mystery which we are to reveal to the world, not hoard to ourselves. Two of my favorite verses in the Bible drive home the power of the mystery of the gospel. From Romans 5, the Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. Consider the mystery that by grace alone, through faith alone, we are saved. By grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, we are saved and promised eternal life with God. The heart and soul of our mission is to simply proclaim this mystery, the gospel of Christ, salvation by grace through faith in him. Indeed, it was proclaiming this exact mystery that landed Paul in chains, as he says. He could have said a lot of other things and not wound up in prison, but saying that too often to the wrong people, and he had to write Colossians from prison. (laughs) The day may be coming, folks. It is in Canada kind of already. Anyway, for us... Proclaiming this mystery usually just means some social discomfort. That discomfort is probably the main reason many Christians are often found proclaiming just about anything other than the mystery of Christ. Oh, we proclaim stuff. We proclaim plenty. But how much time do we spend proclaiming the mystery of Christ? Listen, church, our mission is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that anyone can be saved by grace through faith in Him. This is the mystery that we are to proclaim. This is the mission of Go Church, sharing the gospel of Christ with the world, nothing less. The fourth principle is this, be clear. Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Many times we are not clear precisely because we skirt the issue of the mystery of Christ. It would seem that we find it easier to talk about anything other than the simple truth of the gospel. Why is it so hard to tell people they can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ? There are many reasons, but regardless, this is to be our message. I wonder how many people in the world would be surprised to know this is the message of the church. Why don't they know? Because we are not clear. 
We have so many smoke screens. We talk about church. We talk about God. We even talk about what a difference our church has made in our lives. We talk about peace and love and family, and we talk about right and wrong and morality. We talk about anything other than the mystery of salvation in Christ. Ask a modern Christian for their testimony even. And more often than not, you will hear something other than the gospel. Most of us don't even know how to articulate our salvation story so that someone else can get it, that trusting in Jesus is the way to be saved. This must change. We need to learn how to boil it all down and how to be clear. I like to use Romans 6.23 for what's been called one verse evangelism. You can draw a chasm between a person and God, you know, just kind of just do this. You got a person over here and God over here. Show the separation. Then you can use Romans 6.23. And you can put a cross in the middle for the bridge. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So that goes on one side. But the free gift of God is eternal life. That goes on the other side. And then the rest is the bridge. Through, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. You could lead someone to Jesus with that verse alone if that's all you had. You'll also want to explain how gifts need to be received. It's a free gift of God, but gifts need to be received, which helps them realize they have a decision to make. They need to trust in Christ and walk across in response to God's invitation. That's just one example. The point is to get to the point and to be clear. They need to turn and trust in Jesus. These days, there's a lot of debate and discussion about how you absolutely must use certain words, like repent. Several times in the Bible, we hear these words together, repent and believe. And that's a fine thing to say, of course, but there are many other places in the Bible where the word repent is not used to describe a person's path to salvation. Romans, for example, mostly just points to faith. Why? I think it's because true faith includes repentance, always, automatically. If it's real faith, you're turning away from other things and you're turning to Christ if it's real faith. You can't turn to God and not turn away from self and sin and repentance. It's a discussion for another day, perhaps, but the point is that there are many ways to say it and many words that can be used. Some today are saying, don't lead people to pray to receive Christ. You know, that sinner's prayer thing, that, that may have worked for generations, but now it's out. Which, by the way, is exactly what I did at the moment of my salvation. It's also what we did with our children, who are now both in the ministry. I've led countless people to pray to receive Christ, and most of them were the real deal. I get it that if you do it wrong and, you know, you can just manipulate and nothing really happened, nothing really happened there. That can happen, you know. But look, in my opinion, most of those concerns come from books that are written about this. It's causing some people to say, I don't know what I should do. The fundamental misunderstanding that leaves many people 
Hear me. The fundamental misunderstanding that leaves many people unsure what to do or how to lead someone to Jesus is in forgetting that God is involved. He is the one who saves. He is the one who helps a person to believe the right thing and make the right decision and say the right words if words are even the thing. Really, it's a matter of what happens in the heart, in the moment. Is there real faith or not? And so I would say that Billy Graham had it right all along. (laughs) He kept it clear. We can use different words. But the idea is that people need to surrender to Jesus and let him save them. It's also fine to say believe and receive Christ. I think it's okay to just say believe in Christ and you will be saved. I'm pretty sure that's what Paul said to the Philippian jailer when he asked how to be saved. Of course, you'll want to explain a bit more about belief and how it's trust and it's, it's putting your faith in Christ, not just some kind of informational belief. But what I'm saying is that in the moment, the person either actually puts saving faith in Christ, which God is helping them to do, or they don't. Time will tell. My wife's family thought she was saved at age 12, but she believes it really happened at age 17. I was saved when I was six, and I've never doubted that it was the real deal. Time told the story, and here I am, 40-some-odd years later, following Jesus. Our job is to share the mystery of the gospel and help a person either receive it or reject it. The rest is post-salvation stuff, and I think all of us can agree that step one is the most important. So feel free to help someone take that step, would you please? Discipleship or spiritual growth comes after with the help of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Right now, the point is to keep the message simple. Keep it clear. Jesus indicated that childlike faith is what's needed. It isn't about understanding everything perfectly or having the right words, but it's simply about surrendering to Jesus. The person you're sharing with only needs to understand that they have a sin problem with God and they need to put their faith in His solution which is Christ's on the cross and Christ's resurrection. They need to decide to turn away from their sinful position before God and to receive and exchange His grace and forgiveness by faith in Christ. We need to be clear. They simply need to turn to Jesus to be saved. The fifth missionarying principle is this, act wisely for the watchers. Paul continues, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. This is so important. I think in wise here, it's not just all about how we live or like living a good life and stuff, but there's something about the mission in that, thinking about it. How is this going to help them come to the point of accepting Christ? Act wisely. Think about what you're doing. Be strategic. Wisely for the watchers, the outsiders, those who are not saved but are interested. How do we know they're interested? Because they're watching. We wouldn't need to be wise if they weren't watching. They're listening to you. They're watching. More than you know. there, There are ways to share the gospel that are wise. And then there are ways that are obnoxious. 
Think about what is effective, not what makes you feel like you've checked a box. My experience is that if you live like Jesus and vocally apply Scripture to real-life situations in small doses, people will start asking you questions. Often you won't even need to initiate a gospel conversation because they will ask what you believe, and then you can tell them. If you're prayed up and ready and watching for it, doors will open right in front of you if you act wisely. Which brings me to the sixth principle, don't miss your chance. Paul says he wants to make the most of every opportunity. We need to stay ready. We need to be willing to stop what we're doing and engage when we get a chance. We need to put spiritual conversations at the top of our priority list. We need to make the most of every opportunity. This may be the only chance you get to talk with that person about the most important thing. Don't miss it. There's a Casting Crown song that every person who wants to live on mission for Christ ought to listen to every now and then. It's called, Here I Go Again. I used to sing it often. I highly encourage you to check it out. Here I Go Again by Casting Crown. It's about how we never seem to get around to Jesus when we're talking with potentially unsaved friends. And the thing is that we don't know how much time is left. We talk about the rain. <laughs> and other things that won't live past today instead of sharing words of life. When will we care enough to make the most of our opportunity to share the gospel with people we love? And that leads me to the seventh principle, which is one of the most important concepts that I hope you can remember from this message. Number seven, missionaring is a conversation. <clears throat> Paul calls it a conversation in verse six. Let your conversation, and then he goes on to talk about it. Another way to say this is that our mission is relational. It may seem like evangelism is supposed to be one-sided communication, but I just want to straighten that out right now and explain that the point where you share the gospel ought to be flowing from a conversation. And you've been doing quite a bit of listening. And maybe they're like, yeah, I just believe, you know, good people go to heaven. And you've listened, and now you're like, well, here's what I believe from the Bible. And this is something that may go on for a while, maybe even over the years, because conversations take however long they take. Church family, a bumper sticker is not a conversation. You know, church signs are not conversations. A blog is not a conversation. For the most part, a, a T-shirt or a bracelet or, or a post on Facebook may be conversation starters, but they're not a conversation. And notice something else. The church as a whole cannot have a conversation with individual people. Aha. Let me expound on this a little bit because the church of Jesus Christ lost its way when it started thinking about itself more as an institution than a gathering of individuals. As it relates to the subject today, when people tend to think the church, or maybe the pastor, needs to reach out just as long as they don't have to, they mistakenly abdicated their responsibility. Listen, the church is you. And so you're the one who's called to follow Jesus on his mission in the world. Periodically, some other pastor or church leader or even someone who is considering attending our church will ask, what is your church doing for evangelism or outreach? 
And I do admire the heart of that question. They know that the mission should be high priority for any New Testament church. But I want to reply with this. Well, you'll have to ask our people. The church is the people. And so what our church is doing for outreach is whatever you are doing for outreach, how are we doing? Now, does this church ever try to program for mission accomplishment on a corporate level? Yes, we do. We have more plans for the future, like a training class for how to share your faith, a more intentional follow-up team, and other things. But I want to tell you something. None of the things that we do from the top down as, as a church will really get the job done. While some of those things can help, outreach programs and plans are not how the mission gets done. And sometimes programs can even become cheap substitutes for the real thing. The real thing happens when the members of the church start living on mission in their daily lives. Sure, we send out mailers, we do advertising, and that sometimes gets people in the door, and sometimes some of those folks come to Jesus here at church. And that's fantastic. But still, mailers and Facebook ads are not the main thing when it comes to living out the mission of our church. Bottom line, it's up to you. Not whatever is meant by the church. It's up to you. Jesus called you to be his disciple, you to be his follower, you to be on mission. It's not what the church is doing, but what you are doing. And then what what you are doing, taken as a whole, is what we are doing as a church. Does this make sense, right? Okay. Let 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 me be clear, though. Let me be clear. I want to really, really be clear on this. Maybe I'm repeating myself, but I want to be clear. If you never have a conversation about Jesus with people in the community, you are not living out his mission. You may have a good start through kindness and caring and prayer and by your example, but you're not living out the mission if you never have a conversation about Jesus. The church will only be as effective in mission accomplishment as the individual people who make up that church are effective in mission accomplishment. Got to have gospel conversations that flow naturally out of Christ-centered lives. The eighth principle for missionarying is this, lead out with grace. Paul says, let your conversations be always full of grace. The book of Acts records several scenes from Paul's life which give us insight into the way he did evangelism. The fact is that as tough as he could be on the church, the Apostle Paul was mostly full of grace when he shared the gospel with the unconvinced. I'm not saying you never mention difficult truths. You have to read the situation. But if you simply look at what Paul did out in the world, it was full of grace. Look at how he shared with the Greek philosophers in Athens for a great example of how we might approach evangelism in our world today. It depends on the audience, of course. Make no mistake, Jesus was tough on the church crowd. He would have been brutal on what we call cultural Christians. He was not the peace, love, and joy hippie that media wants us to picture. But even with Jesus, when it came to living out the mission in the world among those who were far from God, among those who were not as religious especially, he was full of grace. Not grace that condones sin but grace that looks beyond sin to the heart of a person who needs forgiveness and healing. Grace that loves in spite of sin. We talked earlier about the mystery of Christ. Well, the mystery of mysteries is grace. 
And as one person I was able to lead to the Lord said to me, so this grace has no strings attached? To which I said, yep. That's the mystery of it. Come just as you are. Receive forgiveness in Christ. And God will walk you through the journey to become more like Christ from that point forward. You don't have to get it straight first. He will help you do that after. When you're on mission for Jesus, lead with grace. Jesus didn't die for nothing, folks. He died for your sin. The ninth principle for missionaries is this. Use salt. Paul says, let your conversation be always seasoned with salt. Obviously, this is a metaphor, so we have to consider what Paul meant by it. In the text, the salt is coupled with grace. So I tend to think of it as the other side of the coin. What do we mean when we say that a person is salty or their conversation was salty? I think it has something to do with substance and flavor and basically that we are actually saying something worth saying. It means we don't water it down. It means there's still an edge to it. It still means something profound and challenging. Let me put it this way. If you wind up saying only words that could have been heard on a television sitcom, you did not share the gospel. If you talk about being a good person or going to church or being religious or a better way of life or even just believing in God, then you missed the point and did not share the gospel, which again is about turning to Christ to be saved from sin. The kind of belief Jesus asked for is a fully committed kind of belief. While you don't have to change beforehand, you do need to know that you're signing up to be changed. Paul says, lead with grace. But whatever you do, don't leave out the salt. Tenthly. Is that a word? I, I don't know, but I just always wanted to say it. Don't have very many opportunities. So, tenthly, have some answers. Have some answers. Our text says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The point is that if you don't have some answers to the questions unbelievers are asking, you may benefit from a bit more preparation. Remember what I said about how all the rest of what we do as a church leads up to this. Part of why you need a church family and all that the church does is to get ready for the mission. Beyond that, in this day and age, it wouldn't hurt to read a few books on what we call apologetics. Hopefully you do realize there are whole libraries of books refuting the lies of this current age. If you want to be smart, read books. If you want to be wise, read the right books. You can tweet that. Just put my name on it. If you have not been initiated into apologetics at all, meaning you've never read anything that makes a rational case for our belief system, I would recommend starting with Lee Strobel and probably start with a case for faith. Even though the case for Christ was written first, I would start with a case for faith and then maybe the case for Christ. After that, I can give you a whole list if you're interested. If there's a particular area you struggle with, ask me. I'll, I'll recommend 
the best book I've found on it. Apologetics can be very powerful and helpful. The Bible says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Sometimes the best answer is your own personal story. You know, depends on who you're talking to. Other times you may need to know a little bit more than that. One of the biggest things is going, that's going to come up in these modern times is Darwinian evolutionism, of course. Darwin on Trial, best book on that, by Philip Johnson. You ought to know some key facts to be able to explain why you believe in the creationism of the Bible instead. And no, I don't think that both can be true, but that's another subject I'll address another day. Again, Paul says, be ready. Have some answers. You don't have to be an expert any more than the person you're probably talking to is an expert. But if you're at least familiar with some of the great resources that are out there, you'll know where to go to get some answers when you need them. Another great source, by the way, off the top of my head, uh, it's online, gotquestions.org. It's fantastic. You can ask me for that matter. Email me, text me. If I don't know, I'll I'll send you to the right resource. Having made this point about having some answers, I don't want you to wait to enter the conversation until you have more answers. That's a never-ending situation. That isn't what Paul is saying. Enter the conversation because this is not just a head thing. If you know Christ, He's in you, remember? And as He said, Do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So there's a balance. Wouldn't hurt to spend a little time, have some answers. Work on that, but trust Christ with the rest. I've found that in tense situations, if it will prayerfully open, if I'll open my mouth, if I'll just prayerfully open my mouth, God gives me words I don't know where in the world they came from. I'm not that smart. It's an exercise of faith. It's a really powerful exercise of faith. When it happens, it just grows your faith in God. It's like, wow, you really are there. It's an exercise of faith that you're going to experience if you want to be on mission for Christ in this world. Finally, don't forget the gentleness and respect part, right? And that's super important. But it speaks for itself. Just make sure you practice it in the moment, or you might even wind up working against the mission instead of accomplishing it. No Christians out there are doing that, right? With gentleness and respect, very important. So there are 10 principles for missionarying in Christ. It's a lot of information, which is why I try to encourage people to take notes. Most of our small groups also discuss these things. Use your listening guide throughout the week if it speaks to you. Use it and think about where can I work and what do I need to change. See if there are any of the 10 principles you can learn to apply more in your daily life. This concludes our series through the book of Colossians. Everybody give yourself a pat on the back. Good job, good job. Way to go. You made it. We made it. As I mentioned, we're going to be uh, going through um, the Sermon on the Mount next. I'm not sure. We may wait a couple Sundays, do some things for Easter and stuff. I'm not sure yet whether we'll start it next week or after Easter. praying about that. But that's coming up. We will have the Lord's Supper the Sunday before Easter, communion. Uh, always do that uh, and, and think about the cross the Sunday before Easter um, so that we can practice.
properly celebrate the resurrection on Easter. I don't think that's next Sunday though, right? There's like one Sunday and then there's the Sunday before Easter, which is called Palm Sunday and then Easter, right? This next one is Palm Sunday? Okay then, I just made up my mind. We're, we're going to do, a, we'll do something on the cross this Sunday and then resurrection Easter Sunday and then I'll start the uh, how to have heaven on earth sermon series uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. All right. Um, listen, if, if you are new here today, please fill out that communication card. And um, if God's doing anything in your life, you know, if there's been, I often find people will be like, at some point they'll say, you know, I think I need to be baptized. And I'll talk to them. And they'll be like, uh, did you, have, well, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? When did that happen? They're like, maybe about six months or a year ago at church. And I'm like, you know, I could have been celebrating for six months or a year. Let me know if God does something in your life, okay? And, uh, or if you just need to talk through it some more. I'm there. Um, God is at work in our church. He's, he's working. New people are coming bound to have some that, that don't, have never received Christ any, any given Sunday, have never really done it. I've been reading a book called Cultural Christianity, and it, it's helped me, I already knew this, but it's really opened my eyes to how many people are in our churches that never really, never really put their faith in Jesus. There's a big evangelism field. We don't just have to go to atheists to find people that need to truly put their trust in Jesus. And so, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Um, talk to me. Mark it on your response card. I'll, I'll, I'll do a soft contact first. I'll email you first. And we'll see if you, if you want to just email, if you want to meet, or if you want to talk on the phone. I'll let you set the parameters of how you want to communicate. But let me know if God's doing something. If you want to talk about what does this even mean to receive Christ as Savior? And this is what I do. This is, that would make my week to have that kind of email come to me. All right? Let me pray. Father, I do pray for those who maybe you're working on our heart and there's something that needs to change or there's something, uh, even salvation, that hasn't really happened and needs to happen. Lord, I just pray right now that someone would make that decision. Sometimes we don't know exactly what point it happened. Maybe it's today for someone. Maybe today somebody just wants to say yes to you in their heart right now. They're just, they're just kind of burning on the inside. I, I remember how that feels. We used to come forward to say that. And we would stand there sometimes. People would stand there gripping the back of the pew, afraid to come forward. Not asking anybody to come forward today. You're not saved by coming forward. That's a fine way to do it. Not what we're doing right now. I'm just asking you right now in your heart. Would you put your trust in Jesus Christ today? Is today the day? Step across the line of faith and say, I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. Take my life. I need you. I hope there's somebody doing that right now. It's not a complicated prayer. It's a moment of faith. And Jesus does the rest. He comes into your life, starts to change you. Please let us know. I'd love to talk to you about what this means and next steps. You can do that simply on a communication card. Just think, we're not asking you to walk forward, just asking you to check a box. How easy is that? Do that and let me know so I can talk to you about it. We'll go from there. Baptism is really the way you make it public, and I'll explain that.
Lord, thank you for all you're doing. Continue to work in our lives. We love you. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.